So even an average preacher never forgets a good introduction. And the Lord gave me this introduction 25 years ago when I was preaching through the book of Esther. And I think I've preached it here, maybe. I think I did preach Esther once, maybe two or three years ago. But I thought I would start the sermon by asking you if you consider yourself a lucky person. Anybody? Consider yourself a lucky person. Um, as I meditated on Psalm 27 this week, uh, this thought continued to bubble up in my mind. Would you consider yourself a lucky person? And what is luck anyway? So I looked it up. Um, luck. It's a noun. It means the chance happening of fortunate events. It doesn't tell me much. So I looked up fortuitous. I thought of the word fortuitous. I looked it up. It's an adjective. It means happening by chance. Um, I thought of serendipitous. This may be a new word to some of you who aren't mother tongue English speakers. So I looked up serendipitous. It's an adjective. An accidental fortunate chance occurrence. Well, I'm still not very satisfied. So I look up accident. It's a noun. It's an, a, an event occurring by chance. So I'm back to chance. <laughs> so I looked up chance. It's a noun. Abstract nature of unexpected, unpredictable, random events. So I looked up random. It's an adjective. Having no specific pattern or objective. See haphazard. So I looked up haphazard. It's an adjective characterized by mere chance. I'm back to chance. So I thought, well, I, I thought of the word coincidence, so I looked up the word coincidence. It's a noun. It's a state or fact of coinciding, which I don't know what that means. And I thought of the word fluke, so I looked it up. Fluke means a stroke of good luck. So I'm back where I started. I still don't know what luck is. Maybe you do, but I still have no firm grasp on what the word means. In fact, these definitions are hopelessly cryptic and vague and obscure and, un and unclear. So let me just cut to the chase. You already know what I'm going to say, I bet. If you know your Bibles very well at all, you already know what I'm going to say. Luck is nothing. <laughs> Luck is nothing. It's a vacuous concept. It's really a confession of ignorance. It's something, it's a word men use uh, when they don't understand and they can't explain what has happened. Luck is nothing, chance is nothing. If I flip a coin, is it chance? If it comes up heads or tails, is it chance? Or is it something else? What do you think? What do you think, Martin? Well, it could be chance or something else. Okay. He's a, <laughs> he's a scientist. He knows. He's, you know, he's, he's thinking up here. I'm thinking down here. Um, but if I flip a coin, it's really all in the physics, right? It's how much energy I put in it, where I let it go, the mass of the coin, the aerodynamics of the coin, where I catch the coin, 
the point at which I catch the coin. It's all in the physics. It's in the physics. We just can't understand the physics. Human perception is not keen enough to understand all of the variables involved and whether the, the coin comes up heads or tails. It's all in the physics. We just don't know how to quantify it. It's all simple laws of physics. So luck is nothing. Chance is nothing. It's a confession of ignorance. Um, a biblically literate person soon discovers they have no use for this word. And I'm going to exhort you and admonish you, don't ever let an unbeliever hear you use the word luck. Um, the word is meaningless. If you have a biblical worldview, the, world, uh, the, the word is meaningless. The word is meaningless. The Christian doesn't need luck. We don't, we're not confessing ignorance about circumstance. We're no longer ignorant about circumstance. We understand the author of all circumstance. We understand who He is. He's the God of the Bible. Amen? He is the God of the Bible. For those of you who know your Bible, let me ask you this. Were Abraham and Sarah lucky to conceive Isaac? Was Joseph lucky in his rise to power in Egypt? Was Moses lucky that Pharaoh decided to let the Jews go? Was Joshua lucky in taking the promised land? Was David lucky with the slingshot? They weren't the beneficiaries of a fortuitous chance random event. They were walking with God. They didn't need luck. You don't either. And I want you to expunge the word from your vocabulary. In place of luck, learn how, to, learn how to speak about God. Learn how to speak about the providence of God. Learn how to speak about the sovereignty of God. Instead of using a, a worthless word, a useless word, a vacuous word, learn to speak about God in your life. Let your friends and family and colleagues and co-workers, let them hear you speak about God. This is not good luck. This is not bad luck. God is doing something in my life. Amen? God is doing something in my life. Learn to speak biblically. Learn to honor God with your speech. You know, it's unfortunate that... It, I know it's easy. I get that. I know it's easy to, dis, to devolve into the lowest common denominator in the world. I get it. The unbelievers are talking about luck. The nominal Christians talking about luck. My challenge to you is to educate them. <laughs> to educate them, it's not luck. It's not fortuitous. It's not coincidence. It's not serendipity. It's God. And when I read Psalm 27, this is what I heard David saying to us. This sovereignty issue that God is sovereign over all things from the courses of the the galaxies in the cosmos to the, the electron around the, the nucleus of the single cell. God is sovereign in all things. And this is lost on much of the modern church. Uh, many, if, many pulpits are weak and they don't, they don't preach a huge sovereign God that the Bible presents. And it has been lost. Many pulpits present God as 
frustrated, right? And that um, men or, or Satan or demons can, can frustrate the purpose of God. Let me just read a few excerpts from Isaiah to you. God says, I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. My word shall not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For surely as I have intended, so it shall happen. And just as I have planned, so it shall stand. Who can turn back the outstretched arms of God? Beloved, there is no rogue molecule in the universe. You understand that, right? There's not one rogue molecule in the universe. Not one. God is sovereign in all of them. Not one. Not one. We can be like David in Psalm 27. We can be fearless and bold and courageous and have confidence. Some of the words he uses. Because our God is sovereign. And there are no rogue molecules. <laughs> if there's a rogue molecule, fear is warranted. Because God may not be able to keep His promise if there's a rogue molecule. But there are none, beloved. There are none. Jesus Christ means for us to understand this. I'll quote to you Matthew 10.29 Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? This is a first century way to talk about you know, molecules and electrons and uh, nuclei and all of these things. I mean, they didn't know about many of these things. And Jesus is saying there's not, something, there's, there's not much uh, that's more inconsequential than a sparrow. And He says not one will fall to the ground apart from God. Not one. Not one. Jesus means for us to understand this. In Psalm 97, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we looked at that great, that great, uh, that great psalm and, and God is just lifted up and the title of that sermon was Sovereignty and Gladness, right? Sovereignty and Gladness. You're supposed to be glad in the almighty, sovereign, uh, ruling, reigning nature of God. He's your confidence. David talks about it tonight. He's my confidence. You're supposed to be glad that God reigns. And the world, the unbelieving world is supposed to see you be glad that my God reigns. My God reigns. Every day you get up, God is reigning. There's not one day you get up that God is not reigning. You know, we always come back to this, don't we? This, this fear and anxiety issue that many of us struggle with. It's just unbelief. I mean, we can... We could call it a lot of nice things, but at the end of the day, it's unbelief. You're not believing that God is reigning. Remember, remember Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Right? Even in the chaos of, of, of the world that, that fallen man has brought, up, brought upon the world in his sin and wickedness. God is reigning in the chaos. God will bring order out of the chaos. God will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ out of the chaos. He's doing it. Even as He judges, He does it. Let, let the earth rejoice. The earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. Be glad in the Lord 
You righteous ones. That was Psalm 97 eight weeks ago. I love this doctrine of God. I, I, I delight in the fact that my God is sovereign. If you're, if you're here tonight, you call yourself a Christian and you're ignorant of this fact, I challenge you to study the Bible and see that God reigns. God reigns. Daniel 4.35 None can stay the hand of Jehovah. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. I thought I'd share with you the title of the sermon uh, tonight. It's called Light, Confidence, Worship, and Courage. I just want you to, to see this progression through the psalm. Light, confidence, worship, and courage. David doesn't need luck. He's not interested in good luck. He's not interested in serendipity. He's not interested. He doesn't need it. He walks in the light of God. God is His confidence. God is His worship. God is His courage. He doesn't need good luck. He doesn't need it. Verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Isn't that beautiful? I hope that's real for you. I hope that you own that for yourself. What does he say? Don't you love it? The Psalms are so personal. Christianity, it's always personal. Real Christianity is always personal. Now, I know there's pseudo-Christianity. It's just religion, right? It's just Christianity. Uh, it, it's, it's a masquerade. It's, it's religion masquerading as Christianity. But real Christianity is personal. What does David say? He doesn't simply say God is the light and God is the salvation. What does he say? You tell me. What does he say in your Bible? What does your Bible say? God is what? My light. He's my light. He's my light. He's my salvation. I'll just stop and ask you, have you owned it for yourself? Is it true in your life? Or is it still some kind of abstract theological uh, uh, proposition to you? Or is it maybe like a nice story that makes me feel good sometimes? Or do you really believe your God is sovereign? Do you own it for yourself? David says, God is my light. He's my salvation. It's what unbelievers hate. <laughs> it's what they hate. They hate that there's a personal God. You know, it's what atheists... It's, you, you watch these atheists on YouTube and, and their faces get red and the veins are popping and, and they hate this concept of a personal God. They hate it. They don't want to deal with Him. They want to be autonomous. Well, they can pretend to be autonomous, autonomous for their 70 or 80 years, but soon they will stand before this God and it will be personal. We talked about it last week. God will say, why have you violated my name and my word? Why have you violated me in your sin? It's what we talked about Psalm 51 last week. David says, my sin is against God and God only. Your sin is a violation against God. Yes, you may violate others in your life, but ultimately it's a violation against God. 
The unbeliever hates this about the Bible. We preach a personal God who we are brought into relationship with as Christians. And every man, woman, boy, and girl who, who's ever walked the planet will stand before this God and give a personal account. It's personal. David says, He's my light and He's my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? Whom shall I fear? If it's real with you, if there is a personal relationship going on, John 17.3, Jesus' definition of eternal life, that they may know thee, if it's real, you understand what David's talking about. If it's real, if you know God, if you know your Creator, if you know your Redeemer, fear, there's no room for it anymore. <laughs> there's no room for it. My God is sovereign. I know Him. David says, who should I fear? Who? Someone tell me who? The God who governs the, the again the courses of the of all the galaxies in the cosmos who should i fear david says i don't fear anybody <laughs> he says i don't fear anyone i was thinking about it as i studied this week i should have put this verse in my book you know the introduction of my book it starts with daniel 11:32 the people that do know their god shall be strong and what shall they do they shall do exploits. The people who know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. It's what David is saying. David's saying Christianity is personal. I know God. I'm not going to fear anymore. I'm going to walk like a son or daughter of the king should walk. It's what I call you to every time you come in here, right? Don't go out there and live small anymore. Now, if you're an unbeliever or a nominal Christian, I understand you have to go out there and live small because you really don't believe. You really don't believe. But if you really believe, you'd be like David. You're fearless. We're not foolish, but we are fearless. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, beloved. It's a beautiful thing. Verses 2 and 3, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be... What does your Bible say? Someone tell me. What does your, what does your translation say? I shall what? Be confident! David's enemies are rising all around. He says, I'll be confident. Why is David confident? Oh, his God is God. His God is sovereign. David doesn't need any luck. He knows Jehovah. <laughs> I love this. I think it's beautiful. So we see here the first half of the, the sermon title. We've already talked about the light of God. Now we're talking about the confidence that comes in walking in the light of God. We don't know all things, but we know the important things, right? We know the essential things. We know the living God. 
we can walk in confidence. You remember Jesus, these great words of Jesus, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. David says, God is my light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and He says, my people will have the light of life. Again, we don't understand all things, but we understand the important things. Sometimes we can fall into deception, but not very long if we're in the Word of God. Not very long. The Holy Spirit will bring us out if we're you know, practicing those disciplines we've been talking about the last few weeks if we're in the Word of God. If we're in the light of God, Beloved, this is license. This is freedom. This is liberty. This light that we have. This confidence that we have in God. Did you notice in verse 2 there, David says, My enemies stumbled and fell. This is Old Testament code. It means my enemies have been crushed. My enemies have been destroyed. Take heart, beloved. Your enemies. For every one of you in here tonight that, are, that is a Christian, your enemies are the enemies of God. And they will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. You don't have to do it! Right? You don't have to do it! You don't have to raise a hand against your enemies. God will take care of it. Do not take vengeance, God says. He says, that's my business. I'll do it. You don't raise a hand to your enemy. What does the Christian do? What does Jesus command us to do? We, we pray for our enemy. We love our enemy. We heap hot coals upon their head as we love them and as we bless them. Right? Yeah. We, uh, we don't have to respond in kind. We don't have to respond in kind. God fights for His people. I couldn't help but think of King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You guys know the story. This horde was coming upon Judah and King Jehoshaphat um, cried out to God and God said to Jehoshaphat, He says through the prophet, He says, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours. It's mine. Beloved, they may kill the body. But in the big scheme, <laughs> God says, they may kill the body, but I hold the soul. This life is a tw the twinkling of an eye compared to eternity future. Death is nothing to God. You, you, you read the Psalms, and I, I, I may butcher this, but the death of the godly one is the delight of God. It's just going home. I understand death becomes, is a big deal to us, but I think for the believer, we need to, to at least begin to understand that it's not a big... It's, it, it's because we're looking in the mirror and we're not looking at God. I don't want to confuse you, but my point is this, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Amen? To live as Christ, to die is gain.
Did you notice here in verse 3, even though the enemy is encamped against him. We, 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 we looked at this some weeks ago. Psalm 34. Who else is encamped around the believer? Who else is encamped around the believer? Anybody remember from Psalm 34? Who else is encamped around the believer? Even if the enemy is encamped around us, oh, the angel of the Lord is encamped around the lover of God. The angel of the Lord, it's the Old Testament code for Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord is encamped around His people. David doesn't need luck. El Shaddai is encamped around him. Who knows what El Shaddai means? In case you don't know, what does it mean? The Hebrew, El Shaddai, what does it mean? You don't know. I'm glad I brought it up. It means the Almighty God. The Almighty God. You see how free you are if you actually believe what the Bible says? The problem is, most people who confess to be Christians or profess to be Christians, they don't know it and they certainly don't believe it if they don't know it. You, you have to know it to believe it. And when you believe it, you're set free. When you discover how awesome your God is, you're like David. Even though the enemy is encamped around you, you are confident. <laughs> you are confident. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Verse 4, One thing, David says, I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle in the secret place of His tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in His tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So we've hit the third component of the sermon title. Worship. The Word doesn't appear here, but this is clearly what David is doing. He's worshiping God. It's the only reasonable response to Jehovah. David has no divided allegiances. What does he say there in verse 4? He says, there's a, there's a number of things I'm really interested in. What does he say? You tell me. What does he say in the text? He says, there's one thing. One thing. <laughs> it's, it's the confession of every true believer. One thing. My God is first. My God's never not first. And when I make that mistake, when I come off the rails, I get back on the rails as quickly as possible. God is first. He's always first. He's always first. David says, one thing, one thing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. It was in the music. I was, Josh and I were on the same page this week. I kept hearing the sermon in the music. He builds his life around the beauty of God. Did you notice the, the imagery there in verse 5? God's house is a safe place. It's a secure place. It's a strong tower, to quote Psalm 61. It's a rock of habitation, to quote Psalm 
71. In the house of God, David meditates on the beauty of his God. He makes his offerings. He worships with joy. He sings praises to God. This is 3,000 years ago, but have you noticed it's the same thing we do in the redeemed garage. Not a whole lot has changed. Yeah, there was a lot of Old Testament temple ceremony. That's Old Covenant. It's gone. But the fundamentals are the same. We gather here to delight in God, to meditate on God's Word, to sing praises to Him with great joy. The fundamentals are the same. We worship for the same root reason David worships. He's in love with Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to stop and ask you. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you really love Him? At the end of the day, that's what all of Christianity is. Do you love Him? And is that love being played out on a daily basis in your life? Does everyone in your orbit see you loving Jesus in your words and in your deeds? Beloved, this is not only your purpose, this is your happiness. Now, if you're trying to settle for something else, you've missed your purpose and you will miss your happiness. You can't be happy. No human being can be happy if God's not the center. You can try. You can play the game. You can listen to the world. The world's lying to you. The world is telling you there are 10,000 things out there that will make you happy. Well, if I could just get that right guy or that right girl or if I could just have some, some children or if I could get that right career move or if I could get that next promotion or if I could get a big raise or if I had a bigger house, blah, 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 blah. It's never enough. I'm 61. It's never enough. You're all tots compared to me. You think you know a lot. Take my word for it. <laughs> Nothing is enough. Only God will fill your soul. Only God can and will fill your soul. And I love this. Go study the world religions for yourself. But nobody sings and worships like Christians. Nobody. Nobody sings like this. Nobody worships like we do. Nobody does. Nobody. We have reason to sing. Our God is God. Our God is beautiful. Our God has come for us. Our God has redeemed us. I love this concept. The beauty, the beauty of God, just a few quick verses. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 2. God shines in glorious radiance. Psalm 26, 8. I love Your sanctuary, Lord, the place where Your glory shines. Psalm 90, verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, this beauty and how every human being has this hunger for beauty. And Lewis talks about how the, the believer in heaven will be united with the beauty of God, will pass into it, will mysteriously receive it into ourselves, and will become part of it. I think it's his take on John 17, which is so huge. The beauty of God will taste it. We'll not only behold it, we'll taste it. I can't wait. I can't wait. One more quick comment about this one thing. David wants. 
Uh, you remember the story in, over in Luke chapter 10 about Martha and Mary. Do you remember? Who, who remembers the story? Martha and Mary? Jesus comes to their house and Martha's busy making preparations. What's Mary doing? Anybody remember what Mary's doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha complains, Lord, make her help me! Right? And what, is, what does Jesus say? Anybody remember? What does Jesus say? Says, Jesus says, well, you know, Martha, you're so bothered and worried about so many things. Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken from her. The point is, this one thing that David was interested in, Mary was interested in, to sit at the feet of God and be changed, right? To sit at the feet of God and fall more in love with Him. To hang on every word that God says. It's the one thing David wanted. It was clearly what Mary wanted as well. Verses 7-10, through 10, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Regarding verse 7, David is praying for what God has already promised. Why, why would David pray for what God has promised? Why, why would he do that? For those of you who don't know, there's a beautiful, beautiful example of this in Ezekiel chapter 36. God makes all these promises to the Jews, the Old Testament Jew, that He makes all of these beautiful promises. But then He says this, He says, I have spoken and I will do it. God says, I've spoken and I'll do it. But then He says this, This also I will let the house of Israel ask Me for... He will ask Me to do for them. Right? And then they'll know I am the Lord. He says, I'm a, I've made these promises to the house of Israel, but I'll have them ask Me. So David is praying what God has already promised. It's something that you see in the Psalms over and over and over again. And just a side note, I just have to tell you, Isaiah 65.24, just because it's about prayer and I love it, it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. Before they call, what does God say? Before they call, what? I will answer. I just wanted to share that with you just because I wanted to. doesn't really fit the context. Verse 8, David says, I will obey the Lord in the most fundamental command. I will seek God. I will seek God. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. God commands you to seek Him. And what's that beautiful promise in Jeremiah 29, verse 13 that we, we've brought up so many times in the last few weeks? What is that beautiful promise God makes? If you seek Me with all your heart, what? What does God say? You'll find Me. That's an open invitation to any human being who's, in, who's interested. God says, seek Me and you will find Me. David says, I will seek you. I will. It's the one thing. I will do above all other things. I will seek you. Verse 9, again, David is praying what God has already promised to His people. That God would not hide from David. That He would not turn from David in anger. And that He would not abandon or forsake David. Again, we understand as New Testament, biblically literate Christians, we understand that God has promised that we that He will never leave us or forsake us. And He's promised in 
Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from Him. Verse 11, Teach me Your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For fallen witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So we're back to this one thing, right? We're really back to verse 4. This one thing. David has no divided allegiances. He wants God above all else. I'll just stop and ask you, is that true for you in your life? Do you want God above all? If it's not true, just being honest with yourself, if it's not true, beloved, I lovingly warn you. I lovingly warn you. If it's not true, you have serious work to do with God. If it's not true, do you love Him above all? Do you? David wants to learn God's ways. He's not interested in the ways of the world. I'm going to say something. There's probably more than one in here, even though we have a really small group tonight. There's probably more than one in here that's more interested in learning the ways of the world than learning the ways of God. It's just my experience 30 years in the pastor. It's just my experience. I've seen this many, many times. David, David is echoing the sentiments of Psalm 119.32. David says, David says, I shall run the way of your commandments. Don't you love it? He wants to know God's ways. He wants to run in the ways of God's commandments. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. We know as biblically literate Christians that sometimes we are... If, well, if we just go just read Hebrews chapter 11. Sometimes we are impoverished. Sometimes we are imprisoned. Sometimes we are persecuted. Sometimes the adversary seems to be getting the upper hand in, a, in this temporal fallen, judged world. But the true adversaries of the soul are really the adversaries that principally are being talked about here, right? What are the adversaries of the soul? Sin, death, and condemnation. David will be delivered as every true believer will be delivered. We know from Scripture and from verse 13 that David endured hard times. He says, I would have despaired apart from the hope of the goodness of God. As we've talked about the sovereignty of God, we'll just talk briefly about the goodness of God. It was in our praises, in our prayer time. What do God's people do in the hard place? I think I preached this psalm maybe two or three years ago. Psalm 42. What? What do God's people do in the hard place? What do we do? We hope in God, right? 
Why are you in despair, O my soul? The psalmist says. Why are you in despair? Hope in God. Right? Hope in God. We preach to ourselves, right? I say this to you all the time. You should never listen to yourself. Just preach to yourself. And the only way you can preach to yourself is if you know the Bible. If you listen to yourself, you're going to end up following the world. But if you, if you listen to God, if you preach to yourself, you'll go with Him. Just a couple of quick verses. The goodness of God. Psalm 119.68 God, You are good and You do good. Psalm 52.1 The goodness of God endureth continually. Psalm 86.5 For You, O Lord, are good, abundant in loving kindness. Psalm 100, verse 5 For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106.1 Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. No matter how difficult our circumstances are, our good God is always doing a good thing. Romans 8.28 is true every morning when you wake up. It doesn't matter how difficult your circumstances are. Romans 8.28 is true. Verse 14, David says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. It's the fourth part of the sermon title. God is our light. God is our confidence. God is our worship. And God is our courage. Amen? We don't need luck. Luck is nothing. Luck is nothing. Luck is a confession of ignorance. We don't need serendipity. We don't need it. We know Jesus Christ. We touched on this two weeks ago in Psalm 37, but I want to say it again. Verse 14, he says, wait on the Lord. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago, that some of you want to do a great thing for God. And that's admirable. I think every true Christian wants to do a great thing for God. Every true believer wants that. But I told you a couple of weeks ago that maybe one of the greatest things we can do is to be still in the core of our being and in our heart and in our soul and in our mind and completely and genuinely rest and wait on God. That is a great thing. I've learned this in my old age. It is a great thing to wait on God. It's an invisible thing. Men can't see it and men won't acclaim you for it. And you won't get any accolades. Nobody's going to write a book about you because you waited on God. But God knows. God knows you've been waiting on Him and you've been loving Him and you've been delighting in Him and that He's all you need. You don't need a great resume. He's all you need, right? He's all you need. You don't need a resume to impress men. I think this is, I think this is true, beloved. I think this is true. I think it's perfect worship to wait on God and be still before God. And yes, when you get the Word, we're up and gone, right? When you get the Word, when the Word comes and He says, go, I'm gone, right? But in the meantime, we will delight in the Lord. So, I want you to expunge the word luck from your vocabulary. In the first place, it's a meaningless word. In the second place, if you're a Christian, you don't need it. Your God is sovereign. He reigns over heaven and earth. Luck is nothing. Jesus Christ is God. You can quote me on that, okay? Luck is nothing. Jesus Christ is God. If you know Christ Jesus, if it's real, if it's personal with you, 
you understand what David is saying. Jesus Christ is your light. He is your confidence. He is your worship. He is your courage. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Let's pray together. Great, awesome, almighty, sovereign, reigning God, we we come confessing that oftentimes we are trusting in temporal circumstance. We are trusting in our own abilities. We are trusting in 10,001 things, but we are not resting and trusting in you. Lord God, forgive us. Thank you for this word tonight. That you are our light. You are our confidence. You are our worship. And you are our courage. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We don't need luck. It's a stupid word. It's a vacuous word. It doesn't mean anything. But you are the God before whom the mountains tremble and melt like wax. You are the God who accomplishes all His good pleasure. You are the God who has redeemed a people for the glory of Your name and not one shall be lost, not one shall perish. For You are the great El Shaddai Almighty God. Lord, thank You. We find great joy in knowing that You are God and nobody else is. Father, help us to learn to live it. Help us to learn to live it. To not say we believe things, but never incarnate them in our lives. We understand that that is hypocrisy. Lord, we want to live it. We want to be like David. We want to be confident in You. We want to be courageous in You. Help us, Lord God, we pray. Help each one of us. You know our frame. You know that we are weak. Help us, Father. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to dismiss us with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in confidence and in courage. I pray that God is your light and God is your salvation. And if He's not tonight and you need to talk to somebody about it, you can talk to me. You can email me. You can call me. You can talk to Karen. You can email Karen. You can call Karen. Although she almost never picks up her phone. It's never charged. Or it's turned off. Or she doesn't have it with her. Or something. But, if she sees it, you call it. She'll call you back. We love you guys. 
I know we're getting smaller and smaller as we get further into the summer, but thanks for coming. Thanks for coming to worship the Lord Jesus. We love you. Have a great week. God bless.